Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Hi, I'm your host, Jack McLean, and today my guest is Scott Dickinson. Scott is currently the Swimming Gold Coast Hub Manager. His key topic of discussion for today will be the difference between working in pro and Olympic sports. Scott has worked in multiple Olympic sports as well as being part of two different sporting codes. His career spanning over 20 years saw him work with the Queensland Academy of Sport, where he helped many different sports such as hockey, baseball, before moving into Newcastle Knights organisation. Since returning to Australia, Scott has worked at both the North Melbourne Football Club and Victorian Institute of Sport before taking up his current role as a national lead strength and conditioning coach at Swimming Australia. Highlights from this episode, we discussed the importance of taking a leap of faith early in your career, why it's important to work in a range of different environments and sports over your career, understanding your environment and how to develop strong relationships with your peers, a year-by-year breakdown leading up to the Olympics, and leadership style the importance of being clear, consistent, and calm. Before we start this episode, for those coaches wanting to learn how to create an online coaching successful business and make an impact in elite sport, then our Coaches Academy is for you. You get access to our step-by-step roadmap to launching your own online coaching business, an extensive training library, and exclusive discounts and tools. You'll also become part of our active and supportive community filled with strength and conditioning coaches from all over the world who can help you along your coaching journey with practical feedback, support, and advice. All of this and more make our academy the number one place to be for a successful strength and conditioning coach wanting to start, manage, and grow a successful coaching business. To join, head to preparelikeaproacademy.com.au. Let's get into today's episode with Scott Dickinson. Welcome, Scott. Thanks for jumping on, mate. Pleasure, Jack. Good to be here. Well, and we're back to where we first, where I first met you at Asker Level 3 <laughs> on, on Zoom. Yeah, like it's a, a, a lot of video conferences. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bit of a hangover from that, so no, it's it's good to, good to see you. And I'll start with a pump up. I, I could tell even in a Zoom format, the the respect you had in the the Zoom world of virtual room, we'll call it straight away from not only the coaches that were on, which was some great guests, but but also the coaches running the Haska level accreditation. So really looking forward to to this chat, mate, and and the athletes and and coaches tuning in. Make sure to get the notepad out, as I reckon there'll be gems all the way through, but. Take us through the very beginning of your career, mate. What age did you discover you had a passion for working with elite athletes and, and strength and conditioning? I always loved working in sport. So ever since high school, I knew that I wanted to be involved in sport in any way, one way, shape or form. So I suppose, you know, through that sort of high school period where you get to try different things out, work experience, you know, I sort of did, you know, tried physiotherapy and a few other bits and pieces and Worked quite for me, but it did sort of lead me down that pathway. So I went to uni, I did sports science there, and and through that process, you know, in that sort of final year practicum, I got to. I was really fortunate to be able to do my my practicum at the the Queensland Academy of Sport in the the physiology department there. And whilst whilst I found the physiology side of things a little bit dry, I did get the chance to to sort of have a look in to see what the strength and conditioning department was doing during that during that block. And yeah, you know, I was also playing some some pretty decent level baseball at the time. So the gentleman that was running the the SSC department at the QAS was also the SNC 
coach for the for the Brisbane Bandits at the time, Lach- Lachlan Pempfold, who's now he's oh, wow. gone. Yeah, he's gone great guns since then. He's now Melbourne Storm. I, th- I think Lockie was probably the first coach who got me inspired to say, actually, I really love what that guy does. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to be like him. So then I had the ch- I, when I had the chance to then do my prac at the QIS, and I kept sort of looking into the into the gym and the SC department, see what was going on. That's kind of what drew me in there. You know, I, I got the fortune to start with the baseball squad at that stage, and then you know, one squad went to two, went to three and four, and and before I knew it, I I, I really had to to come to the point where I had to make a decision whether I was going to jump from my Full time role, which I was, I was working with Baseball Queensland doing development clinics at that stage. So, love coaching. All of that sort of stuff was still there. Whether I wanted to stay there or whether I wanted to jump ship and, and like just take the leap. And it was, that was probably the, the thing that, you know, it was scary at the time, but taking the leap, taking the chance actually encouraged my, my then boss, who was when I was Kelvin Giles at that stage. He, he sort of recognised the same sort of qualities I think he saw in himself at a younger age. You know, so willing to take a risk on themselves and and commit to it. And uh, yeah, so it, before before you would have had a full time job, and that was it. So I've been I've been doing you know S or you know parts of it ever since. It's been it's been a really good journey. Thanks for sharing sharing. That's a, a great insight and good segue probably for the next part. You've mentioned two pioneers in in the industry, like mm. Folden and Kelvin Giles. Who are some, and you maybe you want to elaborate on those two guys, or were there maybe some others? But were there some strong influences when you look back to this phase of your career that helped mentor you, if you like? Lock, as I said, I, he was probably my inspiration to get into the field, and and has been a you know has been a mate ever since. You know, I've been able to is someone I can go and have a chat to, and he's been very giving of his time over the years, and and I've I've really appreciated his his input, Kelvin has been as much a father figure at times as a as a mentor. You know, he's if you talk to to others that he's come into contact with and and worked with over the year, one of the things, he really cares about the progression of of the person rather than you know the job or the the industry and that sort of. So he really cares about the individual. So seeing him work and and you know having someone like him to to bounce ideas off, and, and as you said, he's one of the pioneers of the game. So just phenomenal person to have in your corner. Yeah, and then. You know, as I was working at the QAS, I was fortunate enough to to work alongside Suki Hobson at the time, who's who's now currently with the Buck. Just an absolutely brilliant practitioner, just first class. And again, attention to detail, enthusiasm, personality. She brings it all, and and I try to I try to learn a lot off her from that that side of things. Like the way that she engages with people is just first class. So. Over the years, there's, there's been a bunch of other people like Tim Pillow at the USOC. And when I went to the Netherlands, people like Christian Boss and Robert Wall, you know, just general coaches like, you know, when I was at QAS, the men's hockey coach there, Greg Browning, just a, a wealth of information and just see the way that he engaged with his players was awesome. Michael Bowl, who I currently work with, one of the best people managers I've ever seen. And Jacques Overharen at, at the Dutch Swimming Federation. He was he was phenomenal as well. He was, he was also out here as the Australian swimming head coach for a while. Yeah, there's, there's been a bunch, mate, like from, from coaches to, to admin people. I've probably tried to find mentors and leaders in different aspects of my career rather than sort of just in the coaching area. I've, mm. I've tried to, to have a broader network of, of mentors and people that I can go and, and talk to because, it's, as you know, the, the job is more than just one part. 
there are so many aspects to it. I find that, yeah, different individuals have different strengths that they can bring to the table. Absolutely. Yeah, well said, mate. And, and from a, like looking back, in terms of starting out as a strength and conditioning coach and something that we'll go into a little bit later on is the difference between pro sports and Olympic sports. But if you were to start your career again, do you think there's a preference for developing S&Cs to start in Olympic sports? Like obviously the QAS and Australian Institute of Sport at that time was pretty impeccable in terms of the conditions that have come from it over the last couple of decades, but as well as, of course, pro sports. But do you think there's a preference on either side or is it just going with your gut and what you're most passionate about to start with and see where that leads you? I probably don't want to comment on any one person's individual journeys because everyone gets into it in different ways, right? So I don't think that there's any one right way to do it, but I do think as your career progresses, it's important to get a well-rounded education across many sports. The definition of of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. You know, I'd, I'd rather have a career of 20 years having you know, five or six different experiences in different places and, and being able to build upon those experiences every step of the way than just be pigeonholed into one sport or one club and that sort of thing. I think you can tend to, number one, you can be pigeonholed. Secondly, you, you can tend to just put your own blinkers on if you, if you sort of have the same experience. So I would, I would definitely encourage any young coaches as they come through to, to, however you get into the industry, doesn't matter. But as you start to think about developing your career, my advice would be to try and seek out those different you know, opportunities that either pro sport, Olympic sport might be able to offer you because they, they both offer very different things mm. and each experience is just as valuable. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that one is better than the other. They're just different. And it's uh, probably one of the strongest perks of our field is, you know, we're not stuck to like a tactical, technical coach. Obviously, you're in one sport. But Absolutely. Yeah, S&Cs, we can move all around the world throughout all different experiences. Do, do you mind elaborating into a little bit more detail with your experience in working in all these different environments? How does it actually help you be a, almost make a bigger impact in, let's just say, the sport that you're currently in? You know, for, for example, if someone's thinking, I want to be the best S&C for cricketers, it would make sense to specialise in that. but do you want to allude on how some of the benefits of being in different environments and being around different practitioners during your development phase and how that can help you be the best you can be? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's the take take the example that you just provided, you know, with cricket. You know, if if I was to to look at employing an elite level strength and conditioning coach for cricket, I I don't think I personally would be just looking for someone who's only ever done cricket. I'd be looking for someone who's had experience in other sports that might be able to bring those, you know, that, that knowledge, that expertise back to the table that maybe can shed a different light, have a slightly different way of looking at things. I'd Personally, I'd probably look for, for people that have strong expertise in shoulder, you know, rehab or shoulder health, you know, so any sort of throwing or overhead hitting sports, that sort of stuff. So tennis, baseball, you know, water polo, all of those sorts of things, even swimming. You know, for example, where shoulder health is so important, I'd, I'd be looking for things, you know, for sports in which people understand how to develop power as well. You know, that rotational strength and, and you know, if you look at fast bowlers and, and back health, that's, that's an issue there as well. So, you know, when, when you look at some of those other sports and the way they treat their athletes and the way they build load and the way they, I suppose, 
explore the entire athletic journey, you know, it's, it's very easy just to, to ha- have your blinkers on if you're only ever in one sport. So if you can bring your expertise from another sport and go, actually, I've done this a slightly different way, but I can see how I might be able to apply the same principles in cricket and come up with a really fantastic result. So it just, it just expands your toolkit you know, that, that you're working with. I, I think that's probably the, the best way of saying it. So rather than just having you know, all the, every time you're just using a hammer, you know, yeah. you know, then everything becomes a nail, right? So you know, if, if you've got a really broad toolkit, you've got a really broad set of skills that you can use to solve the vast array of problems that come up. So you know, and given that every athlete is individual, if something doesn't work for one athlete, then you've got to figure out, well, what am I going to do next? Mm. And if that doesn't work, what's my next point of call? So that's where those varied experience comes in. Yeah, so you, yeah, you can really problem solve and bring more experiences to the to the table. 100%. Working in individual but also as a team. Yeah, uh, that's great, mate. And, and definitely been probably one of the strongest themes of but throughout the podcast is the yeah the ability for people to be adaptable and and work across different sports. So it's definitely a, a a clue from success leaves clues, and it seems to be one that keeps popping up. But going back onto that topic, you've worked in a range of different sports. What would you say from a development point of view would be like if looking back when you were studying your career would be some of your favourite ways to make the most of a mentor or someone that you're working with that has been in that sport for a long time? What would be some of your favourite ways to build a relationship with them, but then also be able to apply the knowledge that you're learning? Yeah, if, if I look back at the people that I've worked with over, over time, it's just, you know, built, in terms of building the relationship, it's it's really just being interested in them as a person. You know, what makes them tick and 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 trying to understand their journey. You know, so, you know, I've, I found when you know, if I, if I talk about Kelvin, for example, you know, I, I used to love having him in the gym, you know, when, when he'd come around and he'd, you know, he'd see what you were doing and, and, you know, he might chip in and, you know, have a different way of coaching an athlete to, to get the outcome that you were looking for. And, and he'd sit there or he'd walk around with you and share some of those stories. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, I mean, the guy, honestly, he could talk for five hours straight without taking a breath, I reckon. But, He's one of those. He's one of those people that, you know, when they do that, you're hanging on every word, yeah. every step of the way, anyway. So just waiting for that little knowledge bomb to drop, you know, that little pearl of wisdom to come out of his mouth, and, and there's plenty of them when he when he talks. So I suppose that's that's what I love with with those guys, and and you know, the other people that I was working with through the QAS and and through those formative years for me. It was working alongside them, and then mm. you get in and you'd start doing project work together, and you brainstorm things, and yeah, you know, just start to work collaboratively and try to explore different options. So that was like honestly, that was some of the most beneficial, rewarding times in my career that that early phase because you're still trying to explore for yourself, you know, where your vision and your philosophy lies and being open to all of those different experiences that other people bring in, I think is essential for any any coach, let alone strength and conditioning coach as they're developing. So yeah, so just being open and 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 paying attention to to the things that make them tick, you know, just all of those sorts of things and, and spending time together. The whole thing with group dynamics, you know, there's there's a critical number of hours that it takes for people to form those close bonds. You know, and if and if I look at my journey over the years and and how we've moved around from place to place, I see it myself in in terms of how 
you know, myself and my kids and my wife have all, you form different social circles everywhere you go, but it takes time and you have to go through stuff to get there. You know, it's, it's not just the, the easy sailing stuff that gets you there. It's the tough times as well. And, and that's part of it. You know, making sure you have each other's back, you know, every step of the way and you, you're there to, to, to help and assist. That helps, in my opinion, to, to form some of those bonds that, that you want to form. When you're, you're talking about the, the importance of you know, exposing yourself into different environments, what would be some things that you would help with your decision making when it's time to, to make a change? Whether it be, is it the, you know, is it just purely opportunity? You see that there's opportunity outside of your environment that is a, a bigger role, or is it more once you start feeling comfortable in an environment, is it time to shake it up when you are in that development phase? Like, take us through, I guess, the decision making that an SNC should make when they know, okay, now's the time I need to start exploring other opportunities or other roles. I think if I, again, if I look at that, the first block when I was at the QAS the first time, you know, I, I don't, I wasn't itching to get out of there at the time, but I'd spent about seven years in that environment and, you know, we'd had a couple of opportunities come up along the way. So Suki and I, we, we worked together on an ACL rehab project, been inspired, you know, by Bill Knowles and his work and all of that sort of thing as well. And the opportunity came up to work with some professional sport athletes during that time. So I suppose that for me, that kind of you know, lit that fire mm-hmm. to go, oh, I'd really kind of like to give this a crack. You know, just working with a different set of athletes, challenging myself to get out of my comfort zone again. So, yeah, you mentioned, is it when you start to feel really comfortable? Sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I look back at that phase, I loved working there. I loved people that I was working with. It was just, yeah, let's let's think about what's next. Let's have an adventure and and try something new. That leap of faith is coming back that up. Leap like of faith, start. yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, and that's if you, if you're in a great environment, I, that was my that was my gauge. It was just like, yeah, there's an opportunity, and I kind of want to scratch it. So let, let's at least have a look and see what yeah. the opportunities are. And if I look at other places. You know, that some have been really brilliant experiences, others have been not wonderful experiences, and there's different cues that you have to listen to along the way. You know, if you, if you, find, yourself, if you find yourself searching for, for the jobs and, and wondering what else is out there, I reckon that's a pretty good indication that maybe you need to start giving that, that voice a little bit more attention. You know, if, if, you're, if you're not happy, if you're, if you're spending more time at work than you are, you know, investing in yourself and your family and, and you start to get resentful. There's there's so many different cues that, that, that are probably, yeah, dependent on the environment that you're in. But yeah, so I, I suppose for me that in that first instance when I was developing, that was the key. It was just like, yeah, I've got a little itch. I'm not ready to, to jump. I don't want to run, but let's explore. Let's see what's yep. else, what else is out there. Yeah. Yep. And going into the staff departments, how does an Olympic department differ to a, a professional sport in terms of your high-performance departments? Oh, look, if you, if you think about pro sport, it's, it's, a, it's a little microcosm. You know, it, it is a very small, focused, concentrated environment where, you know, you're working with each other day in, day out, and, you know, it's, it's a singular focus. It's a mm. singular per. The day-to-day results matter, you know, so every week, you have that test. Yeah. Uh, every week your feet are held to the flames again and you come away with a result. 
and that immediate feedback was was what we did this week good enough or not so you know if you look at if you look at that sort of environment it can be a little bit more volatile it can be a little bit more stress you know stressful and you know reactive to to what's what's going on around it whereas if you look at olympic sports and and probably in in pro sports you know these days it's a bit different but certainly when we're starting out you know back in what 2005, six, when I was when I started at the the Knights, we had a very very small staff, you know. So you had to be across everything, you know. You, you had you had to be a generalist and and spread yourself across different aspects. Whereas these days, you know, you've got I suppose a lot more specialists that are employed by clubs. So I would say that Clubland these days has a lot more benefits than compared to what it ever used to. So that's mm-hmm. that's a great thing. But whereas you look to the Olympic sports. And you have different staff members working across different programs a lot of the time. And that might be within the same sport or it might be across different sports. You know, one of our SSC guys at the moment in the Gold Coast hub, he's working across triathlon, he's doing some race walking stuff and he's working with swimming. So so that's for him, that's a that's a good bit of variation there. Yeah, uh, you know, if you if you look at the the new position that's being advertised in the Brisbane Hub, yeah, you know, that that's some field and court sports as well as swimming. So yeah, so that is, you know, and if you look at the other practitioners that are in there, they might be working with squash or rowing or whatever it is. So you know, when you come come back to that earlier point we made about that diversity of thought coming into a, a central think tank, you know. That's where I find that the Olympic sports or the you know the Olympic network has some distinct advantages for being able to to draw on each of those each of those experiences. But on the flip side, it's it's very much a quieter buildup. It's a slow burn. It's four years. Yeah. You know, yes, you've got world championships every year, or every second year, like in Kong Games every second year. But you know, everybody. Knows that the, the the focal point is the Olympic Games. That's what we're working towards. That's what our funding's based on. That's what our athletes, you know, are judged upon. You know, Olympic success. There's no higher honour than being a gold Olympic gold medalist. So, you know, that that process of of how it plays out, it's very much a slow burn, and the the pressure to achieve results on a weekly basis is nowhere near as great. So I would say, if anything, sometimes it can lack that urgency to to achieve, to get things done, to because people know that they've got time. Yeah. Whereas pro sport, yeah, it can be. It, it has its own dangers. So, you know, on one hand, you've got the reactiveness or the reactivity of, of pro sport, mm. you know, jumping at things that may not actually be important, mm. you know, sometimes. And, and on the other hand, You've got the yeah the tendency sometimes to work a little bit too slowly to be a little bit too relaxed, but uh, you know at the end of the day, I think it all comes down to the head coach and and their philosophy and their I suppose how they drive their staff. So everything's sort of based off off the head coach, and that doesn't matter whether it's Olympic or team sport. So yeah. And you mentioned the S and C that's working across three different sporting athletes uh, in terms of population. Well, if they're yeah, you know, at the QS for that period of time for for the four year cycle or three year cycle this year, this Olympic cycle, will they stay with that group of athletes all the way through, or is it you know obviously if there's change in the department with people getting 
different jobs, so forth. Yep. It makes sense there's change, but they shuffle the cards. But is that the sort of plan to have stability all the way through or from a to keep things interesting because it is like a slow bear, like you mentioned, from the staff as well as athletes' perspective, you, you change the voice amongst the team? Yeah, look, I think I think most of the time we like to try to keep it based on an Olympic cycle. Yep. You know, so you have that continuity all the way through. You know, if you look at an Olympic cycle in years one and two, you can really try a lot of different stuff. You know, year one tends to be a bit of a rebuild, you know, from my perspective. So you have that rebuild phase that, you know, that opportunity for the athletes to deload, recover, regenerate, and get enthusiastic again about the the, the process. Mm. You know, take a little breath because it's a long cycle to, to maintain that intensity for. Hey there, hope you're enjoying this episode with Scott Dickinson. We're just going to take a quick break to hear a snippet from our interview with Gavin Bell. From what you mentioned with Daniel Harris giving you that referral, how important is it um, having strong networks and doing a good job, you know, at the lower levels and, and giving the, you know, appreciating those roles before you, I guess, you make it in the top? Yeah, well, I, I think it's um, a lot of people, including players when they arrive and, and um, young coaches and so on, are, are really in a rush. And I understand that because um, it's an exciting industry and we want to be the best we can be. And, and um, But it takes time. It, it really takes time. It's a, it's a learned craft. Um, I think being able to learn along the way, have people that will not only educate you but pull you up when you need to be pulled up. To hear more from Gavin Bell, make sure to scroll to episode 84 on the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Now back to the rest of the episode with Scott Dickinson. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Is that where you throw in more games and different bit and just variation in terms of, of training or like what would, what would that look absolutely. like? Absolutely, yeah, you know, de- definitely one. variation. Yeah, absolutely. You might have something that you had thought about trying in the years leading up to an, uh, an Olympic Games, but because of the timeframes that you're talking about and the times, you know, the timeframe that requires to, to, to create, you know, appropriate change, mm. you might just, you might not go there. You don't, mm. you don't want to try too many new things coming into the last 12 months before a games. Mm. You know, what you're doing is just tweaking and refining and, and, and fine tuning that sort of stuff. So, you know, that first year after the games, that's a perfect opportunity Mm. to then try a few new, new different things, expose them to a variety of, you know, exercises or activities or games or whatever it might be. The second year tends to be a bit more of a build, second and third year more of a build, and you are refining what you're doing each step of the way, experimenting with things. Year three, you probably do a little bit less experimentation, but that's really your last opportunity, at least as far as I see it, your last opportunity to try anything drastic because once you get into that last 12 months before the games, as I said, you don't want to be trying too many new things. You don't want to be exposing the athletes to unfamiliar things that have unexpected outcomes. You want to be able to predict how they're going to react to to the training stimulus, you know, with not certainty, but with a pretty high confidence so that you know, yeah, so that you know what you're going to get at the end of the day. So, yeah, that's that's the way I've, I've always approached it, mate. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for breaking that down. And, and while you're going through that phase with an athlete, focus through the balance between the art and the science in terms of objective measures to tapping into the athlete on how did you find that block? We played around with, you know, different conditioning format. What did you think? And, you know, the subjective side. Yeah. I, look, I'll, I'll stick my hand up. I'm definitely more on the art side. You know, whilst I've, I, I would definitely use some of those objective measures and, and, you know, we 
we definitely like use testing over the over you know the last geez, 25 years the, the the different tests that we've used over that time you know we, we've always had some some consistent measurement points throughout the year and and we've definitely trialed you know some of the new technology and we've you know velocity based training or you know some of the force measurement devices that are out there at the moment that you know whether it's force plates or jump mats or whatever it might be but I've always used them as either a conversation starter or to provide context and, and information around which we then have a conversation yeah. you know, with the athlete and with the coach. I've, I've never been one to, to go, well, hang on, we've hit this number, then that's either good enough or we need to make this intervention or this isn't good enough because there's so much more going on with athletes these days. If, you, if you're going to base your, your decisions on one number that an athlete provides, then I, I think you just you, you're cutting yourself off to the rest of the picture that's happening. So yeah, because it becomes yeah. a target, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, and athletes are smart, mate. They're smart. They know what they know what you're looking for. Mm. So you know, I, I'll, I'll share an anecdote with you. When when we when I started at the night, we were using some of the jump mat technology and the reactive uh, reactive Australian index to to look at recovery and and figure out how far off their best or you know, how far off their pre-game measures they were. And we started to try to look for ways to manage their training to optimise their recovery coming out of the back end of games. And, and athletes are smart. Like they, as soon as you started to do that, they're, they're like, oh, I want to chop out today. Yeah. So I'm gonna. I'm just. I'm <laughs> not going to put everything in. And as soon as we started to, we were starting to, to use it to look at preparedness to play as well. But as soon as athletes found or felt like that information might be used against them at the selection table, it was a big block. So, mm. you know, we, we did, whilst we tried it a couple of times and we, we actually started a bit of a study on it and I, I felt that it was starting to return some interesting data, just that, that feeling from the athletes, that lack of trust that, you know, that that information was going to be held against them. You know, yeah, at some point, and yeah, to be honest, I I don't ever think that you know we should be using that sort of stuff to rule players in or out mm -hmm. either. Like, but there was a fear factor from them that that's what it was going to be able to do. So, I'd I'd much rather just have that chat with the guys and and have that honest feedback and and the opportunity to I suppose talk through the the solution rather than just say okay, here's a number. That's what we're basing it on. And going back in, in the topic again, you mentioned how pro sports, you can be reactive and then in Olympic cycles, there's a tendency potentially to not have that urgency. Like when you're in either experience, how do you manage the two? Well, so if you're in the pro sport, how do you manage sort of that reactive potential, the environment that's reactive? And then if you're in an Olympic sport, maybe getting complacent potentially. To be honest, I, th I think the it, it all comes down to communication, right? So, you know, if, if you've got clear, well thought out plans and and well discussed intervention strategies and and all of those sorts of things, and and if you've got a calm head at the helm, you can avoid both of those scenarios taking place. Yeah, you know, in professional sport, the I suppose the demands come from a variety of different places. It can be the fans, it can be the board, it can be the players themselves and their families, it can be the media. You know, there's there's a whole bunch of different places, and they're they're right under the spotlight every week. So it takes, in my opinion, calm, consistent, clear leadership 
mm. you know, from, from the people who are running the club. And that See? filters down, you know, it, it filters down. So, yeah, and, and you know, if you, if you look at it from Olympic sport, you still have all those same pressures, but it's just that the, the blowtorch is only turned up once every four years. You know, so you know, as you lead into the as you lead into the world championships or if you lead into the, the Olympic Games, all of a sudden you start to see stories, you know, about the athletes and oh now it's their their love lives and now it's oh this athlete has been seen out at this place and, and so yeah, that happens. Yeah. But Olympic athletes get to fly under the radar, I think, a lot of the time compared to pro sport athletes. So but and again, it's, it's yeah. coach. Yeah, coaches just got to kind of drive it and stay cool and calm and make sure everyone's working in the same direction. And purely from like an athletic sort of performance point of view, like over a four-year phase, if you compared to the pro sport athlete, obviously it's a bit different with how you how they're testing themselves. But and then to an Olympic athlete, like what do you think is a better conducive environment for for development as the as the whole being? From a development perspective, I think that the Olympic sport environment. So less um, stress and less stress. Yeah. yeah, yeah, correct. You know, it's it's less insular. I feel like there's, I feel that there's more opportunity to be able to get out there and have different friendship groups and and all of that sort of stuff. Whereas in that team sport environment, it's a lot more tribal. It's a lot mm. more, you know, you, you're hanging out with each other day in day out. You're away together. You, you know, all of those. You're eating, sleeping. You know. You know, if you go away, you, you you're sharing a room with. Yeah, that's right. So, so from a development point of view, from a personal development point of view, I think probably that Olympic sport environment probably does give those opportunities because Olympic a lot, most of our Olympic athletes also have to work for a living outside of of performing their sport and work full time jobs uh, for a lot of them. So, and that'll be for the for the full four years, or or just the potentially first three sort of thing. Potentially, or you know, for some it'll be you know the the three years leading in, and then uh, depend again. It depends on this, you know, how their sport is structured, where they where they have their build up, and all of that sort of stuff. But yeah, so it's it's an interesting it's an interesting difference between the two. Yeah, and if the if the Olympic, I'm sure there would I'm sure there would be the ones that go full time. Does it yeah. does it take a, a a couple of years to get used to that? By doing it for such a, you know, going from having a life outside of the sport to now it's the full, I guess, their full identity. Yeah, look, you probably see it more on the back end of their career, mm. and I would, I would say that's the same for most athletes that I've, I've come across over the years. Is you know they spend so long doing something that they're really good at that for a lot of them they can tend to become defined by that. Mm-hmm. by their sport, by their performance. And I know that there's a lot of really brilliant work that's taking place these days in in both you know, pro sport and, and Olympic sport to try to provide athletes with you know, that set of skills that will help them once they transition out of the sport, you know, to provide them opportunities to explore different things while they're playing and, and all of that sort of thing, to become much more well-rounded individuals and, and have a diverse range of interests. So I think I think we're getting a lot better at that, you know, both within Olympic sport and, and in team sports these days, which is it's essential, you know, as you come out the back end of the sport, that you have something that you can then channel that focus uh, and attention into. So that you know you all of the all of the issues around mental health and 
and you know depression all of that sort of stuff these days yeah it's 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 super important that those things are in place to help athletes as they as they've looked at the back end and going back to the the departments like how would a, a pro sport let's say you've got your sports psychologist a dietitian a couple of physios and then a couple of strength conditioning coaches including the high performance manager how would that look for for a, an olympic sport what would be a typical day in terms of the amount of staff that you're connected with throughout the day, whether it be remote sure. as well across the country as well as face-to-face? Yeah. Again, it d- depends on the program. So if I, if I reflect on our uh, structure at the moment, so I'm currently the Gold Coast Swimming Hub Manager with the, the QIS. So our, our staff at the moment, we have two strength and conditioning coaches. One is full-time and one is part-time with swimming. We have two physiotherapists, we have sports psych, we have a dietitian, we have a couple of sports scientists that are more movement science, biomechanists sort of base, yeah, yeah. and we have a physiologist on board as well. We've also got our doc. So if, if I look at our week, we tend to have the most activity and the most interaction at the hub on a, on a Monday and a Thursday. Mm-hmm. And that's because you know, the way training is set up during the week the way that we've decided we want to operate as a hub and make sure that we stay across things and set the week up to function well. We have we have our staff meeting there and we have you know physiotherapy treatments taking place there and we have our doctor coming into the hub on, on a Monday. And it's just, again, it's just to make sure that we sort of have the best overview or the best opportunity to capture what's happening for everyone on that day. And then that will then filter through the rest of the week. At our Thursday session, fairly similar, but we don't have the dock in on that day. We don't, we don't have a couple of the other staff in because they're with other programs. But as another chance just to have a quick check-in, how are things going? You know, what do we need to keep focusing on? You know, do we need to put more attention into this athlete or make an appointment here or, or what is it that we need to do? So, you know, that Monday, Thursday for us provides a pretty good check and balance. And, you know, the other days through the week, our staff are, you know, working with other programs across the Gold Coast. So they may not all be together on those days, but the Monday, Thursday provides that opportunity. So whereas in pro sport, as you know, you're pretty much with each other every day. Yeah. And so you've got that that small core staff together every single day, a lot more opportunities to to catch up, talk through things, work problems out, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. So that's I, I suppose that's where the difference is for us. And would there be a, a daily communication, you know, whether it be through like a WhatsApp sort of messenger or is that not required the Monday, Thursday, in, you know, and that face-to-face covers all the communication that needs to be done for the, for the week? Yeah, we have time. thousand WhatsApp groups. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we, we, have different, we have different WhatsApp groups for different squads that we're working with. Okay. And, you know, so obviously, you know, in Olympic sport, even though, you know, we're trying to – help Australia win gold medals at the Olympics and our performance staff are working for the QAS. They're also working for individual programs and athletes who are competing against each other. Yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, there's there's a certain level of professionalism that's required in this space to make sure that, number one, you're still able to bring ideas to the table and still able to facilitate different learnings and to, you know, upskill yourself and use that knowledge to help athletes that you might be working with on a day-to-day basis. But at the same time, you've got to be really conscious of the fact that when you're let into that that program, when you're when you're privileged enough to be able to work with those coaches and athletes, 
you also have the responsibility to to protect their own individual IP and and their training sets and what they're doing and and make sure that you're not providing information that can be then used you know for for other programs to being worked from so yeah it's it's a really fine balance which I'm really proud of our staff the way that they they do a great job with that but that's not to say that that you know it's happened the right way every single time either so you know in the past there's there's been other instances where people felt that you know may have shared information too freely or whatever so yeah we we still we have to be very aware of that have to be very conscious of the impact that that has on the trust and the relationship that we're building up with with those programs and athletes in a similar note what about rehabilitation like at a pro sport there might be one person that solely sort of looks after rehab no matter what athlete gets uh, injured mm. or how does it work uh, in your department is it do you have certain athletes and if your athlete gets injured do you look after them for till they return to their performance or is yeah. it done amongst the team yeah no pretty much it's 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 that collaborative approach between the physio and snc and the coach and and yeah you know, we'll we'll then start depending on what what's happening from a rehab perspective we'll then start to include you know the movement scientists and and physiologists in with that rehab trajectory as well, mm. you know, to, to get their input to, you know, to make sure that the athletes are coming back in a state where they're able to complete full training and, and, and get back out to competition as fast as possible. But it's not that you, you would then hand an athlete over to the rehab coach who then takes care of that for the next four to six weeks or whatever it might be. And then there's a gradual, you know, phased return to training. It's pretty much if you're the SSC coach with that program, and that's the athlete that you're working with. Mm. You see it from you know start to finish, and, and when they're healthy, and when they're injured. And going back to your career, mate, what's some highlights that spring to mind that you're proud of? Oh, think back fondly, mate. I, I, I tend to look back on the experiences rather than and, and look. To be honest, the, the experiences are linked with some of the, the highlights and, and special moments. You know, if yeah, you know, I suppose the first one that springs to mind is is the the Kookaburras gold medal in in Athens. Yeah, when we had we had about nine members on the team, and that was the first time that they'd won the gold medal in donkey's year. But you know, I was still working with the QAS at that stage, so at that point, it was like, you know, we would get the athletes prepared, and then we'd release them to the national team, and they'd go away. But yeah, you know, I sort of look at that that moment, and I remember I was sort of sitting in the on the couch at three three a.m. with my newborn daughter on my chest, trying not to scream at the TV. Yeah, but that that memory for me is just burnt into my mind and will be forever. You know, if, if I think about moving into pro sport, we had a semi-final victory over Manly in 2006, was it the Knights? And the noise coming from the crowd as the chant for, for the team, you know, for Newcastle went up and the players looking at each other just going, oh my God, what's happening here? The sound and the passion and the emotion that was coming through was unbelievable. Never mind that we went and got towed up the very next week by Brisbane, who went on to win it. But that moment was just, it was incredible to share. And then, you know, you look at the Olympic Games and, and being able to go to the, the Games for the first time and support athletes that I was working with and, and watching them compete and win and, and, you know, achieve a lifetime dream. And yeah. to be there in that moment and share it with them was incredible. To to put on the Australian tracksuit for the first time in Tokyo, and you know, to be there when Emma McKeon was was setting records, and when Emily Seabom 
had just come back from winning bronze medal. Bronze medal, and she was so emotional. And to be able to, to give her a massive hug for the enormous effort that she'd put in over the past three, four years, and for that moment for it all to come back, just yeah, again, just sharing that that time with with the athletes that you you work so hard with to to help them achieve their goals. It's it's sometimes it's it's just brilliant just to be there in the moment and share it with them and just see the look on their faces as it all comes true for them. So yeah. Yeah. Is a, it something that, special. You, that you've appreciated throughout your whole career or is it something that you recognize later on to really make sure to relish those moments? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. I, I, th- I think the latter, I think the latter, you know, you sort of look back, like sometimes you'll find yourself in, in, in those moments and you go, wow, what's happening here? But it's not until later that the significance of it yeah. really drops on you. Yeah. You know, so it's there's 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 just there's an element to the I suppose the effort and the performance and everything coming together in a moment mm. that just makes it so special that yeah, sometimes it just takes a little while for it just to, to sink in and, and yeah, for it to, to take shape, I suppose. So yeah. yeah. No, it's amazing to hear you can see, yeah, you're almost reliving those moments as you were sharing them. I am. Yeah, <laughs> I can see each of them just as clearly yeah. in my mind, mate. Yeah, 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 that's great. What about on the on the flip side? Challenges over your career. What are some challenges you've faced, and what have you learned from it? From a you know, how, how have you grown from it? I guess. Yeah, I, I think again, probably you know, if, if I look back at the Rio Olympic, that for me was a a really challenging period. You know, so the I suppose it's pretty well documented how troubled. The, the Olympics were over there and how many issues that, that kept coming up. But I suppose I went over there with an expectation to run our performance centre that was there on site and, you know, just to help the athletes in that, that last push to, you know, finish off their preparations and that sort of thing. And, you know, we, we walked into the, the village for the first time and went and checked out our, our rooms and all of that sort of thing. We came back down and we're, we're all looking at each other in a state of shock because the number of defects that were in our bedroom, like mold on the walls, ceilings that had caved in, toilets that were overflowing with excrement, and you don't even want to think about it. Wires hanging from the ceiling. It was it was incredibly confronting. So that process and and the ability to adapt and shift within a twenty four hour period. My my job no longer was helping athletes to, to finish off their preparation. I had to shift into more of a, a building manager and a, a problem solver to try to make sure that as our athletes came into the village and they came in in a staged manner, so they weren't all in on day one, but as they came in, when they went into their rooms, they weren't faced with those issues. And the little issues that kept popping up throughout the entire games, like we had... We had sliding glass doors blowing in because they hadn't been screwed in properly. Oh you know, so these are so my my job there became okay. Put put aside what you thought was going to happen, and now you're doing yeah. this. Yeah, and it was so incredibly unrewarding oh. for the five weeks that I was there. I, I literally I, I walked out of that games not not ever wanting to go to another Olympics, and it wasn't until, it, it actually wasn't until the day that 
the the team was leaving where I actually felt, oh, hang on, this has all been worth it. You know, so the, the entire women's hockey team just came up and each one of them in turn, massive hug and a big thank you. And, you know, we appreciate everything you've done for us. So in that moment, it was like, okay, I've done my job. They haven't noticed all of these other bits and pieces or they haven't had anything that's interfered with their ability to. So I've done my job. Yeah. And that's that's probably the biggest thing that, that you know, I sort of took home is, you know, if you're in that environment, you've got to be willing to do what it takes to facilitate the team's performance or the individual's performance without a support, you know, and you know, we're not we're not supposed to be in, in front of the camera and you know, we're not we're not front and center. We're behind the scenes, we're there, we're there to do our job and our job is to make sure that they can perform. So it's removing obstacles sometimes. And that was that was the biggest takeaway that I that I took from that. Yeah, I, I suppose the other one, mate, was was losing my job. You know, that's you know, being out of work and, and you, know, you, you do a lot of soul searching. You do a lot of questioning. You question yourself, your coaching ability, your knowledge, pretty much everything. Yeah. So, and then you, know, you get put in a situation where you think, oh, now we're going to actually support my family. You know, what's, what's next? And depending on, like, uh, it's, it's, it's more common than not in the industry. So, yeah. You know, so that's it's something for everyone to understand that it, it can and, and probably will happen to you at some point. But you realize just how replaceable you are, right? You also realize who your friends are and who are just your colleagues. You, you know who's got your back and who's, who doesn't. And, you know, some people are incredibly fortunate that they come out of a role and there's plenty of jobs available and, you know, they can pick up a job, you know, fairly quickly. Other people, depending on the, t- on the timing of it, you know, if that, if that merry-go-round has started up again, and you haven't got yourself a seat, mm. and you can be like, I've been out of work for six months, mm. and that was that was incredibly difficult. And I know other people that have been you know, out of job for for long term, and and you it, you do go through the the whole gamut of emotions, and and it impacts on yourself, on your family, on your friends, on your relationships. It's it's uh, it's a stressful experience. So, and you know, the the biggest takeaways that I've sort of taken away from that is to make sure that. You've got a fallback position. You know, you've you've got a wide range of skill sets. You've got a plan B, and that you know, you you also understand that it's a business. You know, and it may not be anything related to you or your performance or or anything like that. It might just be somebody's perception that they need to go in a different direction. Yeah, or you know, or somebody else. Yeah, or somebody else's issue completely. It might not be anything to do with you. It's just their issue. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, I think you've got to be got to be honest with, enough with yourself to be able to to sit there and look in the mirror and ask answer some you know, ask and answer some really tough questions. But by the same token, you probably have to to be aware that you can't. It's, it's like athletes; you can't define yourself by your job. You mm. can't define yourself by your sport. And yeah, that's that's an important. That's always that's been an important take home for me. So yeah, yeah, naive question, but. Why was Rio in that state? Do you think it was a deliberate ploy, or <laughs> what was going on there? We we in our building we faced sabotage by employees or workers that hadn't been paid. Oh, is that right? Yeah, far out. So so they it got to the stage where there was a mad rush to to get everything finished. The the people who or the workers who they had coming into the site to to do all of the jobs 
many of them had been displaced from yeah. that entire site, from that very site, because of the need to build a new Olympic village, and they'd been relocated to to favelas elsewhere. So they were bussing in for two hours of the morning, and and then bussing in for two hours of the, uh, out for two hours of an evening to just to get to work and back. And so, yeah, there, there was there's. I mean, we were finding concrete in pipes. We were finding rolled up socks. Concrete had been poured down shower recesses, and and that's and left to set. And so, like, yeah, there there was a whole bunch of things. And yeah, you know, thankfully, the the next you know Olympics in Tokyo. I, I'm I'm actually I wasn't I didn't want to go. I wasn't originally planning to go or supposed to go, but I found myself in a position where the coach asked me if if I wanted it, you know, if I could do it play a role for it. And in hindsight, I'm really glad that I did go because I had a really positive experience out of it. And and as such, you know, I've now I'm looking at it through slightly different lenses now, which is which has been really, really good for me. Yeah, it can only go up from that first one, but that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was gonna say like London was London was sensation. And I suppose that's the difference, right? So I went to London to support the Dutch team. I was in Sochi for the Winter Olympics. And and though like both very different Olympics, but um, great experiences. And I suppose that was the you know that contrast to Rio being so shocking that kind of fed that that whole experience being a, a more negative one. But uh, yeah, going to Tokyo, they did it, and even though it was during COVID, the Japanese did such a brilliant job. It was phenomenal the work that they did there, and I was I was actually I felt sorry for them that they weren't able to experience that Olympic environment with. You know, a hundred percent, you know, spectators and and all of everything that comes with an Olympics because it it's a brilliant atmosphere to be a part yeah. of. It really is. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I can imagine. And going into for some practitioners that might know someone who's lost their role, you mentioned the difference between you know people that have got your back and and colleagues. What, what would be some some great ways to show support for for colleagues that are going through yeah losing a job. It might not be there on their own fault. Yeah, it might just be like circumstances, like you mentioned. Yeah. But yeah what are some good ways to to help yeah, out? Yeah. Um, just to ch- just to check in every now and then, you know, is is sometimes all it takes because you you never know what mm. that person is going through, and sometimes all it takes is just a a chat, just to you know hear how they're going, or you know lend a you know shoulder to lean on, or you know that sort of thing. It's it's. It's pretty simple, to be honest. You know, just ask them if they want to catch up for a coffee. You know, that sort of stuff. If if they're around and they can and they can you know make it. You know, end of the day, everyone's like everyone still has to move on with their own lives and and everyone has their jobs to do and all of that sort of stuff. But it doesn't stop you from caring from you know from the other people that you work with. And and it's I'd, I would say that yeah, just being there for them and and you know having a, a regular catch up or. You know, keeping an ear out for other positions that might be coming up and flicking them on and and that sort of stuff. I think that's that's a pretty good way just to to start it off there. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, absolutely. Again, again, mate, it probably can be driven a little bit by the person who's going through it. Mm. You know, as everyone, well, everyone responds differently to that face. Yeah, yep. that's exactly right. And uh, moving into the sort of personal side, mate, of the podcast. So we're getting close to to wrapping it up, but. Yeah, are you a quotes man? You've mentioned a couple of quotes throughout the <laughs> interview. What, what's your favourite one, if you have one, and or it could be a life motto? Look, I don't have any. I don't have one favourite one. Yeah, you know, I do kind of like that that quote. You know, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. That that one, and I love that. 
insight from Michael Jordan where he talks about, you know, missing, was it 9,000 shots or something like that and taking taking the game-winning shot and missing and failing over and over again, and that's why he succeeds because that's yeah. – I, I think there's there's some – you know, there's a big lesson in that for for a lot of us. You know, it's it's not about how often you fail. It's about the the measure of a person is about whether or not they're prepared to get up and have another crack at it. You know, how yeah. bold they are, how courageous they are, how willing they are to be open and and vulnerable and and all of that sort of thing. It speaks more about the character of a person than you know how successful they are. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, that's I, I suppose that's where I kind of gravitate to those those sorts of thoughts and philosophies and and quotes. Yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely been a, a standout for me I've, as I've noticed that that leap of faith that draws back onto that taking that that risk, in, whether it be in your yeah. career. So yeah, similar similar themes, which is good. What about in your work life? Do you have pet peeves? Anything that bites you up? <laughs> yeah. Look, for for me, and, and you know what I've recognised in myself, like I I hate it when. Yeah, if, if we're, we're sort of if there's conflict or you know things that are occurring where I suppose my own values are being challenged, yeah, you know, things like integrity and respect and and holding to certain standards, being upfront and honest in in your communication with others and and that sort of thing, and and having each other's back when when things get hard, you know. So it's it's just about like for me, that's where I know that I suppose I'm challenged the most. But what I also realised is, and I suppose this was put into, it was clarified for me pretty recently, actually. It's, I also have to understand that other people don't have those same values, you know, so they, they might not have the same standards. So, you know, if, if there's, a, if there's a, a conflict there between the two, sometimes I just have to actually reconcile it and go, mate, that's a you problem. Mm. That's, not, <laughs> that's not on me. <laughs> so, you know, and that kind of... For me, it probably de-escalates that that conflict a little bit. Yeah. But you know, I, I think just just having that knowledge that you know you've got the support from the other people around you that that have impact in your you know in your daily workspace. So you know, the same message is going to the athletes over and over again, and it's not being sort of undermined by. You know, words or actions and that sort of thing by the other people around you. That's there's nothing more damaging in a in a working relationship than than that sort of behaviour. I think so. That'd probably be my biggest one. There. Yep. Yep. And what about on your day off? What, what's your favourite way to spend a day <laughs> off when you get one anyway? Yeah, where do we get them? No, look, I probably get more at the moment than I have in the past, which has been brilliant. Look, I, I love going camping. You know, I love heading up to Tiwa and Stradbroke Island and that sort of thing every so often, and and just like. Just disconnecting, just getting away from it, not having the phone buzzing and and all of that sort of thing. Enjoy playing a bit of baseball and 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 all of that sort of stuff. Spend time with the family, just just those sorts of things. Yeah, you know? a cheeky Sunday session with my mates and and that sort of thing. That's uh, getting one of those in does the does the mind and the and the soul wonders. Yep, yep, yeah. yeah there's some good good experiences there. Getting out outside, connecting with mates, and yeah, having a good beer. Can't beat those experiences. 100%. Sure. Well, thank you so much for, for jumping on and sharing with us. It's been over an hour and, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. No doubt that the listeners have as well. For those that have tuned in to the live chat, if you've tuned in halfway through, make sure to listen to the whole thing. It will live on our YouTube channel and we'll release the podcast in the next couple of weeks. But what's on the horizon for you for the rest of 2022, mate? What are you excited about at the moment? 
Yeah, just look, to be honest, just seeing where this new role goes. Yeah, at the moment we're we're working really hard to try to get this new structure of the the, the swimming hubs up and running. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we've got three new hubs within Queensland, Brisbane, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast. And yeah, we're we're in a really formative part of of that process. So, you know, the the fact that we we sort of hit the ground running at the first part of the year, it was it was very much like a startup company and, you know, new lessons every day and all of that sort of thing, always different things happening and, and never stopping. I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to, to now having some, some opportunities to plan things out and to, to help guide our staff through the back end of the year and in the lead up to world championships next year. So it's a pretty exciting time for, you know, for, for us to be putting these things together and, and, you know, hopefully in a couple of years time in, in Paris, we'll, we'll see the, yeah, the, the fruits of that bear out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fingers crossed, mate. No doubt you guys will and, and go Aussies. With the, with, for those that want to follow up and ask any questions to get in contact, mate, is there a best place to get in contact with yourself? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm shocking on social media. If I, I am on Twitter and I am on Instagram and, and that sort of stuff, I, I just, I very rarely post, but I'm sure people can, can get a hold of me there. And, and, but uh, otherwise, yeah. Get in touch with me through the the Queensland Academy of Sport at the moment, and uh, yeah, that's uh, probably the best place to to do it. Uh, I'm yep. sure I'm happy to share those the social media details with you there as well, mate. Yeah, too easy for those. No doubt, driving, listen to the podcast recording. I will add the links in the show notes so you can be yeah, when you park, you can find them there. But our next chat is with Ben Serple, the head strength conditioning coach of the Geelong Cats. They'll be October 13th, so we've got a couple of weeks off, and I'll see you guys then. Thanks again, Scott. Really appreciate you coming on, mate. Pleasure, Jack. Thanks very much. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is... Um... It'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah. Yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, 
perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it, yeah, certainly, yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is, is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and, um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker, um, and yeah. and yeah, like just yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.